HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Hannah Forden for Heritage Radio Network on tour here at Good Food Mercantile in Brooklyn. Uh, Our coverage here today is supported in part by the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I am super excited to sit down with Charles Wechselbaum of Charlie's Cochina. Um, He is showing his beautiful meats with us today, and he's a good friend of the network. Thanks for sitting down with me, Charles. Thank you for having me. So do you prefer to be called Charles or Charlito? Whatever you feel comfortable with. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I wanted to, I was reading a little bit about your background, um, and I think I would love to hear about how you being raised in a Cuban-American household, um, studying cooking at the French Culinary Institute, and then going to Spain and learning how to make cured meats. That's a lot of really amazing gastronomic cultures coming together. So I'd love to hear how that how that came to be and how it's influenced the flavors and the styles in which you make your product. Yeah, I mean, you know, growing up in New York, New York is such a melting pot. And so, you know, I, I grew up in a Cuban-American household, but only because my father was Cuban, Cuban and my mother was American. And we were always surrounded by so many different cultures. Um, so I always say I'm just a mixed-up guy from New York. You know, my, my father's actually a Cuban-Jewish guys so we had the Jewish influence and the Cuban influence and it was just all over the place and so we've sort of embraced this identity of, of New York which is mixed uh, which is like kind of just whatever you know there's no what makes the New York identity is the melting pot identity it's the uh, there's no such thing as, as native New York uh, New York is so I, I think that that later really great foundation to just like keep an open mind about food and not be too attached to any one thing in particular and just like appreciate things from all over the world you know um and then um yeah and then when i got into uh cured meats um i was just fascinated by the way that you could transform this highly perishable thing which is raw meat uh into something that makes it you know do the opposite of perish by leaving it in the zone where it's most prone to perishing, like, you know, 50 degrees, 60 degrees. I mean, conventional wisdom dictates that the meat should go bad. But um, with, with the curing process, you know, with the right combination of, of salt and time and humidity and environment and all this, make it do the opposite. 
that, that whole thing was just fascinating to me. Um, and I, I was lucky to spend some time in Spain with, with um, somebody who I know there. And we just were like knocking around on all these uh, jamón and chorizo producers. And um, I didn't realize how close the, uh, this, the culture of, of, of charcuterie makers there are. Um, so most people just didn't let us in, and, and um, but a couple of a couple of them did, and we got to we got an inside look on how some of this really amazing uh, charcuterie is made. Um, and then when I came back to the states, I was able to start working in an old salumeria, uh, like an old Italian salumeria um, that was helping us get get our production started. And um, the 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 lead production guy there had been doing it for he was actually a guy from Mexico but he'd been making salami for like 18 years and he was like unbelievably amazing at it and um, super humble super soft-spoken didn't say much just just did it and if I was doing something wrong he'd like grab my arm and say like you know no or, or he'd just like give me an eye and go like oh you're gonna ruin that like that's not gonna come out well so it sounds like you had to earn a lot of people's trust to get to where you are today. You had to win over the Spanish charcuterie makers. You had to, you know, apprentice under this um, Mexican gentleman making Italian meats. So, so yeah, you, you somehow managed to convince them that you were worthy of their secrets. Yeah, I guess that's what a lot of life is, right? Like earning people's trust. But I was also very lucky that people gave me a chance. Like the guy, the, the, the guy who who I worked with here in the States, I mean, and, and, and his, his boss, they totally rolled the dice on me. I just called them up one day and said, hey, come in and teach me how to do this and like, let me start this, this crazy project that I have. And, um, and they weren't the first people I asked that to. And I, I'd, been spending, I'd spent like six months asking a bunch of people that same question. And, and well, everybody said no, which is why I was continuing asking. <laughs> and um, so these people, I, so I was very lucky that really wonderful people gave me a chance so it's trust and luck yeah that's that's life um so did you have a love for for cured meats and charcuterie before you spent time in spain or is that something that you grew to love by being immersed in that culture yeah i think it was no it was right before i was I went to spain uh you know being in the french culinary institute and i also was working in a restaurant i lived i lived for a period of time in durham down in north carolina in durham and i had a chef that I worked for down there, who was just really experimental and creative, and he was doing a lot of charcuterie in his kitchen. So um, I think my interest in charcuterie uh, came during that period, like 2008, 2009. Um, yeah, but I didn't really know what it was when I was younger. I mean, it's just prosciutto and you know chorizo here and there, but um, but like real charcuterie, it was something that I was introduced to later on. So. Um, and obviously we're, we're here at Good Food Mercantile, which is a super inspiring place to be, meeting so many small producers. Um, I'd love to hear kind of um, how you are catering your products to these like very specialized buyers and what kind of sets apart this community of retailers from the market at large, because I think they are very discerning and also really supportive of small producers, which... It's a really lovely thing to see. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I and mean, they're really so, so supportive. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, I'm, we're very lucky that the core, our core customer base uh, are people who, who come to this show. 
um, because you know the, the, our ride has not been smooth, um, and it's and the only reason that we're still alive today is uh, is because our customers were patient with us and supportive of us and encouraging when we made mistakes and 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 did things that you know caused them to suffer in, in some sense as well. Um, instead of sort of retaliating and, and, you know, telling us all these kinds of, you know, making judgments on us and all that stuff. Um, they were actually very helpful and were patient and, said, you know, encouraging, hey, it's okay, we all make mistakes, as long as you learn from it, as long as you, you know, make it better the next time. And, and you know, sort of like people are very um, embrace, embracing of failure, knowing that it's really the only way to uh, get good at something and, and, and and continue on. So I'm incredibly grateful for this for this group. And people here really love food, and they they I mean just plain and simple. You know they believe in cooking, they believe in knowing where your food comes from, um, they believe in the responsibility that a food producer has to the consumer to like let them know what they're eating, and um, and like we they all take that responsibility very seriously. And so we're very lucky to have them. So yeah, hope that answers your question. And and you are uh, the recipient of several good food awards. That's is that right? So tell me a little bit. Two. That's we can call that two blues and and two reds. So two finalists and two okay. two winners. Um. So tell me about the winning products and what you feel sets it apart. Yeah. Um. I'm very so we we won one for our Campo Seco in 2018, which. I, I was extra proud of because Campo Seco is the fo our foundation salami. It's the found it's the foundation for all of our all of our products. It's just salt and pork. Uh, it, I call it the mother salami. Um, and usually, it, uh, it you know it's a, it's like the purest expression of the two most fundamental ingredients in the process. We use really great meat and really great salt in our product. We use a hand harvested solar evaporated sea salt, uh, which is like a spice in its own. In addition to being the the main preservation agent in salami so it's our slowest moving product because out in the market people it tends to it tends to get lost in the shuffle of all these crazy flavor profiles and spice mixes and like we put a product out there that's just like really I, I dare I say simple but um, eh, just humble I guess um, it tends to uh, it tends to I, I get lost in the mix or tends to not get as much attention some of the stuff with more sex appeal so to get the good food award for it was so validating um, and because it's the foundation for all of our products it meant that everything else had a good foundation it was validating for the whole line so I was super proud and the other one was for the cerveza seca in 2014 the beer salami uh, we're really excited to partner with a local brewery here in New York transmitter farmhouse sales uh, producing uh, a really great they, they produce a very a variant or a variation of a seasonal beer that they do it's an it's a it's their uh, belgian style quad ale it's an abbey style quadruple ale um that they make for us and um it's just so delicious it's very it's very rich it's like caramelly and malty and beautiful it's the kind of beer you drink you know next to a fire in the winter time you know comes in a big 750 ml bottle with a with a cork top, and you can, yeah, it's just awesome, and um, so it highlights the partnership. Um, yeah, what can I say? That, that that really proud of that good food award as well. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so you make everything here in New York, correct? Yes. So paint a picture for me. Um, where are you? What does it look like? What does it smell like? Um, and what is your process for testing out and creating new products? Yeah. Oh, it's a great question. Um, well, every part of the production smells a little different, you know? So, um, you know, the beginning doesn't smell like much. It's just raw meat comes in and then you start mixing the spices and you get the you, you get the wafts from the spice bins coming out. Uh, my favorite to smell is the pimentón that we use in our chorizo because it's just so pungent and so beautiful. You get that smoke, you get some smokiness and, you know, we all always sneeze a little bit when we're mixing the spices, you know, not in the spices, but, um, you know, uh, so that's really nice. And then when you go into fermentation, you get almost like a, like a bakehouse sort of smell. Um, it's the beginning of the drying process, um, and we have a, a slower fermentation. So it's when the micro, it's when the sort of microbial activity starts to happen, right? And the smells are just bready and yeasty, and yeah, really, really nice and meaty. Um, it's like the the beginning of the controlled spoilage. So it's like borderline, like okay, this could go really wrong, but. You know, we, we, most of the time it, it, it doesn't, so we're lucky about that. And then when you go into the drying room, it's just, what can I say? It smell, it's a magical smell. It's just uh, aging meat. It's gone through the fermentation. You get a lot of yeast. It's cooler in the drying room. So it's almost like a, it smells like fall, you know? Um, uh, yeah, you should come. Um, Deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you mentioned sometimes, you know, you're walking that fine line between curing and spoiling. Um, has there ever been something you've tried and has not turned out to be delicious? So many times, yeah. My, yeah, a lot of, yes, many, many, many times. Yeah, we've, we've had to, we've made plenty of mistakes and, you know, the best learning comes from screwing up. So um, it's not fun to do it. It's not fun while it ha when it happens, but... In retrospect, it's really important. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we've messed up plenty of times. Um, and you asked the question about how are we ha developing new products? Um, new products, oh man, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like writing, you know? If you try too hard, uh, you're always crossing out and going back and scribbling and rewriting and like you can spend three hours and write one paragraph, you know, and it's writer's block and you can't get it right. But when it hits you, you can just write, you know, a whole chapter in half an hour and because um, it just flows. And that, that's sort of, I, that's the way I feel about, uh, about creating new products. Like if you have a rush of inspiration, you get the spices, you mix them up. I mean, like we're, we have a, a good baseline for how to, how to do like the foundation of the product, like with fat and lean ratios and, and like salt ratios and stuff like that. Um, so... So yeah, I mean, it usually happens pretty quickly, but like in that rush of, when you get a rush of inspiration, you really have to have to capitalize on it when it happens, because otherwise you lose it. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. And you have to wait a while till you can actually taste the finished product, right? Which might must make it a little bit torturous. It's one of the more, I mean, it's one of the most beautiful parts about the process because it really uh, forces you to be patient, which is an important quality, but also very frustrating because you know it's June now and if we want to release something in December for Christmas for example um, and we haven't done it already we would probably it's not gonna happen this year 
Um, so it's, but it's, it's part of the process, you know? <laughs> well, I will let you get back to your busy table, but thanks so much for joining us. And if anyone would like to taste some of Charlie Cochina, you can come to Heritage Radio Network's gala coming up this fall. So be sure to check that out. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Hannah. This is great. Keep up the great work. Heritage 